Science. 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 Perspective. 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 Science. Perspective. Welcome to a Writer in the Lab podcast from Newcastle University, providing you with inside perspectives from scientists and engineers in their own words, discussing the nature of science and engineering, the joys and challenges of doing research, and why it matters. In this edition, we feature Team Tau, an intrepid team of engineers from Newcastle University and industry, who competed in the grand final of the Ocean Discovery X Prize, a global competition to advance the development of marine robotic technologies to explore the deep sea like never before. We speak with researchers from the School of Engineering about their advancements in subsea drone technology and competing in the final round of the X Prize. So we know more about the surface of the Mars or even our Moon than our ocean. When when you when you're exploring, um, uh, for instance, Mars or Moon or any other planets, you're you, you're effectively launching a probe that you uh, that has a high-spectrum camera, perhaps, or even other equipment that's able to map the surface of a certain planet in a very uh, quick manner. Now, unfortunately, light does not penetrate ocean, uh, does not penetrate water. In this case, we have a good few kilometers of ocean, uh, uh, of, uh, of if like this barrier that uh, prevents uh, EM wave or electromagnetic wave from penetrating it. This is why um, mapping the ocean is a lot more challenging and we are uh, the technology really or the most visible technology to our knowledge or at least to this development is to use uh, sound wave, really just a sonar. So it's, it's like imagine you're sending a, a sound wave from the surface of the ocean and then you let this sound wave travel through, propagate through the, uh, the ocean, um, uh, the, through the water medium as soon as uh, when it hits, uh, um, for instance, a, a, a hard surface or if you like the seabed, you'll be reflected upwards. Now to do that, you requires a lot of big sophisticated um, um, sonar system to accomplish that. And with the current technology, if we were to just map from the, uh, if we just use one vessel equipped with this highly sophisticated sonar system, it will require at least a thousand years to fully map our Earth. Hi there, I'm HK Chan, or Hwaki Chan, from Engineering, and I work as a research associate for the School of Engineering under the supervision of Professor uh, Nick Wright. So this particular seri- uh, ocean series of X-Prize competition, uh, in this case, is the Shell Ocean Discovery X-Prize. Uh, it was sponsored by Shell. Um, in the, in the hope of um, pushing the development of uh, subsea technology in mapping the, uh, uh, the seabed. And uh, the challenge that was given to us is that um, we have to map at least 250 kilometers square in a 24-hour period. All, uh, and to make things much more challenging, all equipment has to be fit into a 40-foot container. So that is really a big challenge. The typical industrial uh, gold standard of uh, scanning, uh, of mapping the ocean is to use a very, very expensive AUE submersible that, uh, to be honest, it, it really just looked like a ginormous uh, torpedo that has sonar bolted on the side of it. Um, what it does is that it swims down well, to whatever depth of the, uh, uh, of the seabed and then uh, it will typically hover about 70 meters above uh, uh, the seabed and then what it does is that uh, imagine you're doing a lawnmower pattern literally sweeping the seabed 
in a low mode pattern. This is what the XPRIZE comp uh, competitor used for uh, as an entry submission to the XPRIZE uh, challenge. And um, in contrast to what we are doing, uh, instead of having a multi-million uh, pound vessel or underwater vehicle, what we tend to have is that it's uh, a much more lightweight, cheaper drone system that swim, uh, which again, it looks like a torpedo. For some reason, that, that is the best um, hydrodynamic property to, uh, to, to break the ocean uh, wave. So essentially what happened is that uh, our drone is deployed by a surface vessel. If you like, it's, it's really a, a, a Cantaraman style vending machine where it will go to a particular targeted location. And then what happens is that it will drop our, our, our drone into the water. The drone will start swimming vertically through the water column, hover above, um, uh, hover above a certain height uh, from the seabed, and then do a three uh, and then do a three sixty degree self rotation. So what it does is that during that rotation, it was actually scanning um, its surrounding uh, in a line form, and then form this uh, trees uh, three sixty de degree uh, point cloud. So after the mission, what happens is that the drone will return to the surface, and then it will be collected by uh, uh, by by our uh, surface vehicle to be brought back to base or perhaps the next location. To give you a perspective, the uh, the robotic system or the uh, the uh, autonomous underwater vehicle, or we call it AUV, that used to uh, scan, uh, used to find the lost uh, the down Malaysian airliner MH370. Each of those drones that they use, uh, or each of the AUV that they use to uh, to, f uh, to to find the MH370, uh, they are the state of the art uh, uh, equipment. No one would have a much better speed or resolution than uh, those a vehicle can carry. And even with that, the, the maximum aerial scan for those machines that cost up to uh, at least 6 million pounds is 120 kilometers square. So it's effectively half of what XPRIZE set, uh, set the challenge to everyone. So if you like, uh, Sewing Machine Dynamic was the originator of this, uh, of this idea. Um, um, Newcastle University sort of like join, uh, uh, jump on the wagon as well as uh, jump on the wagon to to help uh, realizing a lot of this uh, technological challenge that uh, that we are facing uh, in creating a new breed of subsea drone. So soy the machine dynamic, they are, if you like, the world leading uh, trenching and uh, cable laying um, uh, manufacturer. So what they do as a bread and butter is to to create this big ginormous agriculture-like looking machine that lays cable around the world. Now in comparison to uh, a lot of the other teams that is taking part of this competition, they typically have one ginormous uh, AUV that probably weighs tons. Effectively, theirs is just a very big man submarine, or at least it looks like a very big man submarine. In our case, um, we are... Uh, well, I like this quote from XPRIZE. Effectively, we were told that we can fit 10 of our drones into one of their sub. And uh, to launch this summer server, of course, you need a big uh, research vessel or any big 150-foot uh, vessel to, to go out to drop it to a launch site. The asset itself is really expensive. And of course, the operational costs and uh, the effort to get the drone to its destination or to its uh, targeted scan area is humongous. Um, I'll, so to give you an idea, to rent um, a 
uh, a ship big enough to carry one of this boat out there. It's based on the current industrial standard way of doing things. It's about at least $100,000 per day just for the charter of the boat. A lot of this drone typically went into a territory that is poorly chartered and there's a huge tendency that you can lose it. What really happened in uh, X-Prize final is that one of our competitors lost their drone and their surface vessel. Even on a, a calm sea in, or if you like, not as rough as a typical uh, sea condition in Greece, they can lose their uh, surface vehicle as well as their summer server. Imagine having this drone running an operation uh, that you pay $100,000 uh, per day to charter a vehicle and the other thing is that typically when this boat went on operation you would never see it after, uh, until 16 hours or 24 hours later that sort of risk and that sort of uh, anxiety and that sort of investment is pretty scary I would say now we move on to the team tower approach now the team tower approach is very different instead of having a 150, uh, 150 foot uh, vessel that is um, you know that's this massive ship that uh, sail across the uh, road uh, well, we have this 40-foot uh, cantoriman system that's carrying 24 of our drone. So what happens is it, it goes around, uh, it goes to its destination, drop it, the drone do its uh, mission, return back to the surface to be collected. Even if any by any chance we lost our drone, there are still 23 drones available to, to continue its mission. It's not like, oh, that's the end of the mission, we have to recall and, uh, you know, re replan everything. To operate the surface vessel, instead of using multiple crew, uh, multiple uh, scientific crews and uh, experienced uh, um, uh, skippers, in our case, we just have to, we just have a drone pilot. Effectively, there will be someone sitting in a comfortable office, coordinating uh, where this drone is going around the world, and then all those, uh, its functionality can be remotely assessed and uh, it can... The, uh, the surface vessel can be remotely controlled to go uh, to, to do anything uh, to, to carry out its mission. Uh, in terms of costing for uh, operation costs, you, you, you will probably think that it's with, uh, with, um, with a, a man crew that is sitting in some comfortable office, the cost of running it is pretty low. Now the next thing is the, the price of the drone. Um, the one of our uh, summer server is literally a fraction of the cost of what the uh, the industrial gold standard drone that uh, the uh, summer server that people uses. So I mentioned about six million pound. In our case, um, we are able to manufacture our drone under twenty thousand pound. And even if you scale it up by twenty four units of it, it's still way way under half a million. But with that particular set of system, we believe our scan rate and our technology can surpass the, uh, the current industrial goal standard. That's why in terms of cost, operating costs, capex, and as well as redundancy, um, our invention probably have a much more advantageous compared to this. So, so the good thing about this is that, for instance, not every single seabed mapping mission requires a full map of a certain area. For instance, if you're just looking for a down plane, or down helicopter, you can launch a couple of this uh, drone, one kilometer or two kilometer, you drop one drone, and what it does is that it swim down to the bottom of the ocean, listen to a ping of uh, a distress, listen to a distress signal or stuff like that, and return back to the surface. From there, instead of having to do a full uh, lawnmower uh, sweep pattern, 
you can just uh, you can scatter the drone in a much wider area and effectively uh, increase your search area in uh, uh, in comparison to a traditional approach that people uses. In our case, even if one of the drone was lost, was caught, eaten by a whale or something like that, which hopefully not, um, because it's rather huge, um, we can still carry on our mission because we uh, there's always enough drone on board of a system to to carry out this mission continuously. Now, the one thing that the traditional technology does are uh, not able to address in this case is to collect um, water column sample. So when I mention water column sample, it's not that we are collecting the physical ocean sample. Rather, we are we are uh, we are sensing the content of a uh, of a particular ocean column. For instance, the temperature, the salinity, even the pH, or all the all sorts of different uh, sensors that we can embed it in our, into our drone that allows us to understand really the full three D data of our ocean. Not only the seabed, but also the water column to know what is really going on out there. Now, this is a very, very important uh, thing to do because out, up to date, the best resolution that you can get on XY spatial water column uh, sample is 27 kilometer per pixel. So meaning every sing, uh, 27 kilometer, you only have a data of that particular water column. And this is not very helpful. Anything underneath that uh, good 2-3 meters are hidden. And this is really, really hard to assess with any existing technology. Our drone has the capability to address that. To test their subsea drones, they subjected them to tremendous amounts of pressure, similar to what they would counter deep below the ocean surface. They simulated this pressure using one of the largest hyperbaric chambers in the world, based at the Tyne Subsea National Centre for Subsea and Offshore Engineering in Newcastle. This hyperbaric chamber is capable of simulating subsea water depths of 15,000 metres, a truly astounding feat of engineering. HK took us on a tour of the hyperbaric chamber and explains how they used it for testing the subsea drones before entering them in the final round of Ocean Discovery X Prize competition in Greece. So a hyperbaric chamber, if you like, it's... Uh... It's really a pressure cooker, but uh, instead of <laughs> instead of cooking it at a high pressure to uh, uh to to generate uh to generate the pressure, what it does is that it's ramming uh is pumping in more uh um water into the um into the chamber to elevate the pressure to uh, uh, uh to a certain um sea depth. So in this case, we are able to simulate the sea, uh, the depth of the ocean up to 6,000 meters. So you can see that uh, there's this nice stainless steel, uh, I think it's about maybe a, roughly about a foot thick of um, uh, cross-section area. As in the, the metal thickness is about a foot thick and this thing goes down to two level to the bottom. So, so what happens is that because our drone is positively buoyant, what happens is that when we, uh, this thing will be filled with water all the way to the top, and then what happens, we will lower down the drone on the crane and then with uh, some weight at the bottom, so it will weigh it down. And then uh, once we do a lower our drone in, into the water with a weight of weighing it down, we will seal up the hyperbaric chamber and then start the pump. It will, it will ramp up the pressure and then from there, we, we, we just design how long do we want the pressure to go up, uh, the rate of uh, pressure going up, how long we want it to stay at a certain pressure and then how fast do we decompress it. So also all these sorts of things is done through a computing system in, uh, in the level one office. I mean, I was, I was really stoked initially because I worked a lot on electronics equipment 
but uh, or electronic uh, electrical uh, characterization too. But this is probably the one of the largest equipment I've, I've used in my life. In order for the subsea drones to produce high-resolution 3D maps of the seafloor, they required a special type of sonar not commercially available. Dr. Jeff Nisham explains the rules of the Ocean Discovery X Prize for employing the new sonar technology developed by Team Tau and the challenges involved. There were a number of particular rules of the competition that, that drove the design of this sonar. So, for example, we weren't allowed to use any acoustic signals below 200 kilohertz frequency. The reason being that that kept it out of the hearing range of marine mammals. So my name is Jeff Nisham. I'm a senior lecturer in electrical and electronic engineering at Newcastle University. Uh, I've worked for over 25 years on underwater acoustic technology, so that's sonar imaging technology and underwater communication technology. And I got involved in Team Tau as an expert on underwater acoustics, specifically focused on the sonar, but also to advise on aspects of, of communication and navigation underwater. We tend to focus on noise-like or random signals that blend in well with the background noise rather than what we would call deterministic signals like chirps, which are sort of sweeps in frequency, and these stand out very clearly against the background noise. So we're emitting very quiet sounds which are hidden below the background noise and are our signal processing, our technology is able to pull those signals out from below the background noise. So, so animals in the area are, are, are not even aware that these signals are present and that makes a, makes a big difference. And it's not just a question of what power level we transmit, it's also a question of what type of signals we transmit. So certain signal types are more obtrusive or easier to hear than others. Um, so that posed us quite a few challenges because the uh, Sonars aimed at wide area mapping of the seabed tended to be lower frequency than that. So we designed a, a bespoke sp sonar uh, just above 200 kilohertz. Um, the other challenge is the sonar has to be quite small and quite low power to work on the Team Tau vehicle. Um, and it also has to be quite low cost to fit in with the philosophy of the Team Tau vehicle as well. And so there was nothing really commercially available that ticked all the boxes for the Team Tau competition. Uh, so the Newcastle team sort of started with a blank canvas applying what we know on underwater acoustics and sonar design and developed a, a bespoke sonar, everything from the sonar transducer through the electronics package and the, and the processing software to achieve the objectives uh, for the competition. So our, our sonar transducer is essentially the device which transmits and receives the sound. So it's a device that converts between an electrical signal and an acoustic signal in the water. If we put something too large on the, on the vehicle, it would ruin the hydrodynamics and make it very difficult to, to operate. And also if it's too heavy, that that becomes a big challenge too. So we, we get a lot of resolution from a, a relatively small sonar array and 
We're aiming for a long distance as well, so in excess of 300 metres scan with one pulse of sound. And doing that at the high frequency at 200 kilohertz is also quite quite challenging. So we use some quite sophisticated signal processing to ensure we get the absolute optimum signal-to-noise ratio to maximise our range. Yeah, the, the systems we develop have very wide applications from scientific data gathering through uh, communication between submarines, autonomous underwater vehicles, divers, um, all kinds of different applications. And, and some of them involve quite, uh, quite high volumes of, of devices. For example, we've just started a project where we're attaching acoustic transponders to fishing nets to enable them, if they're lost, they could be relocated and, and recovered to try and uh, reduce the marine litter problem. And that's an example where there could be a large number of devices out there. And they're certainly, they're only, they're only transmitting when they're interrogated. So they're not broadcasting sound all the time. They're just interrogated if somebody's looking for them. The design of the subsea drone would not have been possible without the ingenuity of the people involved. To save on costs, the team sometimes resorted to using unusual scientific equipment to succeed in building the drone, proving that innovation need not always come with a hefty price tag for doing research. So we bought a KitchenAid mixer. We bought a very, very big vacuum chamber. The idea is we put the KitchenAid mixer in there. And then guess what? Uh, Because we want to mix a lot of chemical in vacuum condition, and uh, to get a proper equipment costs like £25,000, and we only can process a small uh, batch of it, and we will be like, well, a KitchenAid costs £400. A pressure, uh, a sort of like this vacuum chamber costs maybe £1,000 to buy and another £400 for, for the pump. So effectively, you get all those system in less than £2,000. What we really did is hook everything up, you know, wire it up to a power supply and stuff, turn it on, and it works. <laughs> and I was like, just... And then the funniest thing is uh, uh, the procurement team came back and it's like, why did you buy a mixer? And it's like, I was like, I was like, oh, this is definitely not for my girlfriend or my... You know, we, we don't have a big sales or things like that. I'm just making this. It's like, no, nah, I don't think it's a scientific equipment. And I was like, right, look at this. So I sent a link from a renowned US manufacturer. They have a KitchenAid in her uh, stuff. I was like, look, this is what people use. I'm just recreating this. So we pay lesser money. And it's like, oh, right. Uh, I never know that KitchenAid, uh, uh, kitchen, um, sort of like KitchenAid can be used in this sense. I was like, yes, of course, you can use it to mix anything. <laughs> And it's like, oh yeah, it's really eye-opening to me. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what we do in Team Town. It's like everything is eye-opening to everyone. <laughs> Just of last year, December, we were conducting our few trial in the X-Prize final competition in Greece. In fact, it's Kalamata, Greece, which is the, which is very much near to the, to the Mediterranean Basin, or also known as the Calypso Deep. So we have managed to enter the competition area we did with our drone if you like uh, we have done a proof of concept demonstration of uh, how our system will work together we travel autonomously from the port of Kalamata to south of the Penopolis Peninsula where we have managed to launch our drone it uh, swim about uh, 700 meters to the bottom of the ocean and carry out this mission in, in the X-Prize final, we managed to demonstrate our system uh, considering we have only 18 months to put it together. 
I would say that that's a success to us. That is the conclusion for the X-Prize competition, unfortunately. Uh, so we were, we were given seven days of trial period to, to really, really go out to the competition area from, uh, from a forward operation base and then uh, carry out the mapping mission. From now onwards, really, we will just, uh, we, even though that's the end of X-Prize, we are still continuing to develop this uh, technology. But in reality, we do not know anything about our oceans. And to be fair, in terms of species discovery and to fully know what is what are the organisms that live uh, underneath our ocean, it's pretty much unknown until this day. So I believe uh, a lot of people are familiar with the work of Alan Jamison where he found a, a couple of new species of snailfish um, around the world. This is something probably unimagined un of. Uh, people would never would thought that, oh yeah, we, we know everything about ocean, we know what lives in it. But in fact, we only know perhaps the, the, surf, uh, the, the first 300 to 500 meters of uh, the type of organism that live around uh, uh, in that region very, very well. You know, for instance, the fishes that we eat, as well as some of the crustaceans that we, we know that live near shore. Now, anything offshore, anything deeper uh, uh, down into Mariana Trench and uh, uh, perhaps uh, perhaps one of the deepest trenches around the world, we have effectively zero idea about it. Knowing more about our ocean maps, I, I suppose, uh, allow us to unlock uh, more economical potential of uh, mining exotic matter from it. So that is something perhaps will be uh, quite interesting for a mining company. So effectively, our funding runs uh, the end of March and then we still have a month from UKRI to do trial, system trial in Loch Ness. Uh, so we will carry on our development until uh, the end of April and from there onwards, hopefully we are able to look into business cases where invention from this team will be hopefully spin off in, in, into a company by itself. And I guess everything from there, it's pretty much speculated. I can't really say much, but I, I, I hope that we are able to carry on this invention and uh, make a huge impact in, in the subsea world. You have been listening to a Writer in the Lab podcast recorded here in Newcastle University, presented by Emily Barker and produced by Brett Cherry and Daniel Parry. To find out more about Team Tau and the Ocean Discovery X Prize, visit team-tau.org or visit ncl.ac.uk forward slash sage. Thanks for listening and see you next time.